0: Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. We're from tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we like to talk about healthy, evidence based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. For a special edition, we are just saying happy birthday to happy ourselves. Happy birthday to us. To the Great Sex Rescue. It It was published a year ago yesterday. Yes, so we're, recording at the, we're recording this on the actual birthday. Yeah. But so, it's coming out the day after. Yeah. So. And so we're excited about that. We're going to be telling you what's encouraged us, a big favor we have, and so on. But before we do that, I just want to do a shout out for something that I really believe in. Um, we are looking for more sponsors for this podcast, by the way. So if you would like to sponsor us, just send us a message um, through our website. We would love to have you here. But until then, I'm going to talk about some affiliate products that I really believe in. We are looking to raise enough money to hire Someone to do transcripts for the podcast. So let me tell you about NYX. All right. NYX got famous because they made leak-proof underwear for people with periods. And I think that's a great idea. I think you should try them. I, however, have gone through menopause. And so that's (laughs) not why I like NYX. So I totally approve of the leak proof underwear idea, especially for teens. I think it's awesome. But I bought their bras, and holy Cow, Like, I'm serious. They're so comfortable. I, I got one with, like, wings so that it gets rid of any side boob. I got one that actually gives me cleavage. And if you understand what a big deal that is, <laughs> which, like, that's like, amazing. And then I got, like, just an everyday one. And it's, like, they work like an underwire bra, but there's no underwire. And yep. I got a nursing bra from one of my friends uh, who bought one and just didn't fit her in. So she gave it
1: to me, one of the next nursing bras. And holy cow.
0: Like, comfortable. there's no comparison and I have all these super pretty underwire bras that I never wear now. Yes. <laughs> I just I can't ever go back in fact I'm gonna buy a few more of the everyday ones. so please when you when you use our link don't just go to Nix.com or Nix.ca. use the links in the podcast notes because mm-hmm. then I get a portion of whatever you buy and then we can use it to get transcripts so if you want to support us please use our links check out nyx honestly you will not be disappointed and I've just decided that I am going to promote stuff that I really believe
1: yeah, the thing that I really like about companies like NYX and kind of the, the look mm-hmm. of their stuff that I find so interesting is that right now it seems like in kind of underwear and lingerie, it is kind of getting back to this idea of like, what do you, what's the purpose? Yeah. And the purpose is for
0: her. Yeah, it's not for it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like and, and
1: she still looks dang good mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. she's beautiful mm-hmm. and her body's awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I know that we get a lot of comments from people being like, I just don't like all this kind of dressing up it makes me yeah. feel a little bit like I'm just trying to yeah. you know be a little bit like a pinup girl and it's like you know that's what I really think is interesting mm-hmm. about the current trends is it really seems like in essence women are like taking our underwear back.
0: Yeah, I like yeah. that taking our <laughs> underwear back and and they use they use models of every size, every race, like yeah, every body shape and they, and they don't strength. they
1: they they often have things where it's not like as someone who has a C, who's had a C-section. Uh, like i see their ads with c-section scars and stretch marks all the time
0: yeah so so it's really awesome so check out nix.com or nix.ca. the links are in the in the podcast notes and when you buy from them you do support us okay let's talk birthday yes so this is really actually exciting you know i remember a year ago (laughs) <laughs> we had no idea what was going to happen. A year ago today, I was having a horrible mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, we actually were because just as the book was coming out, our publisher was getting some major pushback from a lot of people yeah. and we were dealing with so much stuff behind the scenes. Like, mm-hmm. And was, we're so grateful for how Baker stood up for us. Yes, like our publisher did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, it was, a stressful, it was a stressful day. And then looking ahead, we weren't sure how the book was going to be received. We weren't sure if the whole world was going to be angry at us. And it turns out that a lot of people were angry at us, but like the important people, so to speak, but the everyday people weren't. Yeah, there was a pretty split. It's like, yeah, people were really mad at us. Yeah. Uh, You know, we got
1: a lot of uh, very emotional feedback Mm -hmm. from a lot of people who didn't like being called out for having... Which I understand. Which I understand. Yeah, Yeah. I would be totally emotional too. I just think, uh, you know, there's a level where
0: it's like when you're presented with the fact that you enabled someone's rape uh that should matter to you and so the little like everyday people loved us and and that's what's been so encouraging so we just thought we would share today some of the things that have encouraged us over the last year and some of the things that surprised us and and what we think as we look back so to sum up i know we talk about the great sex rescue all the time but one of the things that's occurred to me as i listen to my my interviews on other people's podcasts is we very rarely talk about what the great sex rescue is about on this podcast yeah we just kind of assume everyone's read it (laughs) yeah and so if you haven't read it please do but basically we surveyed twenty thousand women yep and to find out if there are certain teachings in the evangelical church that hurt sex and marriage for women and thus and thus for couples Mm -hmm. and we have since surveyed men as well and we found that those same messages also hurt men so this stuff is bad yeah and we identified four big teachings um, that we used in the Great Sex Rescue that hurt sex and marriage. There were others that had effects, but there were four big ones that we that we chose to look at because they were so commonly used in the best-selling marriage resources in the evangelical church. <laughs> and those four are: a woman is obligated to have sex with her husband when he wants it; a woman should have frequent sex with her husband to keep him from watching porn; mm-hmm. all men struggle with lust; it's every man's battle; yep; and boys will push girl sexual boundaries. Yeah. And when women or teen girls believe those things, it has profound impacts on their marriage mm-hmm. and sex lives for the worse. Yeah. And so we simply need to change how we talk about sex and marriage in the evangelical world. Yeah,
1: and the thing about Great Sex Rescue is that we don't just kind of point out what everyone's done badly. We also kind of talk about, you know, why is this promoted? How can couples work through mm-hmm. this? What are stories people who have gotten gotten through this. Like mm-hmm. we, we talk about more than just, you know, pull, calling out the teachings. It's also about how do we change the conversation so that we don't just know what's been done that's bad, but we're actually able to work towards something that's really good.
0: Yeah. And to do this book, we needed three authors. Yeah. <laughs> like we really couldn't have done it without any any one of us. I was the main writer, yeah. but Rebecca came up with all the good lines and she's she was the big editor and writer too. I was
1: kind of the media. It's better to explain you and Joanna. My job was was contingent on both you and Joanna. So you were the main writer. Joanna did all of the smart stuff. Yeah,
0: you you, you and Joanna designed the survey together. So yeah, we
1: designed the survey together because I'm good at survey design stuff. And then Joanna ran all of our stats. Joanna is our statistician. She really is quite brilliant in this Mm -hmm. and uh, she won't say that herself but Mm -hmm. she's really good at it Mm -hmm. um and she's taught statistics in university level courses and she's
0: mean to me because sometimes i want to say things and she's like sheila you can't quite say that because it didn't there's it's more nuanced than that yeah so she keeps me from yeah yeah and so (laughs)
1: but my job was really i saw my job very much as kind of the working between the writing and the Mm -hmm. research to Mm -hmm. kind of figure out, okay, how do we make sure we're true to the research, but still write it in a way that's accessible.
0: And then I had the worst job of everybody. Oh, and then you also ran the focus groups. Oh yeah. I ran all the focus groups and I did all that um, analysis. But I had the worst job because I had to read the best selling books and pull the quotes and that was traumatic. Um, but what we're going to do because there are three authors, but we don't usually talk about Joanna much because, she lives in the Arctic. And so we're just going to bring her on for just a few minutes to talk yeah. about how she sees the book. Ooh. So we have the amazing Joanna Sawatski joining us from Iqaluit,
2: Nunavut. Yes. Hello, everybody.
0: So, okay, Joanna, we have been talking about um what we're thinking at the one year anniversary of the book and one of the things that you've always said as an epidemiologist is that you have seen the great sex rescue as like a public health intervention and i love that do you want to just tell people what you mean
2: okay so i rolled up in oh goodness it's been a long time since i started my master's in public health but you roll up to the very first lecture of the very first class and they say here's what health is health according to the WHO." Is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And that definition was actually developed in the 1940s. It's old. Mm-hmm. So we, but public health sees health as this very expansive idea, including our spiritual health, our physical health, our mental health, and social health. And then I started taking more classes. So I took classes like biostatistics which obviously we use is the graphs in the book. So that's part of it, definitely very obviously, you know, public health intervention. But we took classes, uh, I took health program planning and evaluation, which uh, I didn't do this part of the book, but Sheila, you read through all the bestsellers and you essentially said, is it working? Yay or nay? And the answer was nay. <laughs> so there you go, there's health program planning and evaluation. Uh, I took health promotion, which is a lot of marketing. Which, of course, we do. And a lot of uh, making sure people kind of understand the types of uh, behavior changes they can make to, to make their health better, um, or advocating for changes to the built environments to help with that. So, that's obviously we're doing lots of health promotion with our population of interest. So, I, I guess I think of this really as saying okay, what's the problem? The problem is we see a high rate of vaginismus and sexual dysfunction in evangelical women. And then what are we doing to fix that problem? What is our public health intervention? So um, from my perspective, the book is a very key public health intervention because we're giving people the information that they can then make changes to their, uh, to their behavior, to, uh, to recognize where the problem is, to, to not be blaming themselves for the problem, to understand what their options are. Uh, if you're suffering from bad business, to understand what your treatment options are, what's likely to work, and I've had a great deal of success in speaking to people in public health, to OBGYNs. And uh, she and I have also been working very heavily with some physiotherapists. I'm also going to talk to a of sociologists and they're all going, ah, blah, 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 uh, which yeah. has been very fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. I know one of my big public health things is I just want to make like everybody knows what erectile dysfunction is and no one knows what vaginismus is. And vaginismus is more common among women, among couples under the age of 40. Like pe- most people who suffer from it don't even know if there's a word for it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, And we also
1: know that when it comes to sexual dysfunction, pain is not the only one, you know, a lack of orgasm is a sexual dysfunction. Yeah, anorgasmia, yeah. And mm-hmm. we know that less than half of women are reliably orgasming, mm-hmm. which means more than half of marriages and in, in our survey population have sexual dysfunction, not even related to pain. Yeah. Yeah. So how yeah. is this I, just laugh-
2: you? I mean, it's been it. Rebecca and I both have tiny babies. Rebecca had a baby in the last year. I had a baby while we were in between turning in the first draft of Greats uh, Great Crush, You* and know, when it when we finished all the edits. So uh, it's been exciting, but also very, very busy. Uh, but I'm just really grateful that there's some good material out there. I keep thinking actually about that emerson Eggridge podcast you covered a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Sheila, where he was talking about how you can't tell if a woman gets aroused. Because that made me so angry as someone who's in public health. Like, what is that health promotion? What are you saying? What is your health message to people? You're saying that actually, oh no, women, you can't tell if they're aroused. Actually, it's very easy to tell if a woman is sexually aroused if you happen (laughs) to have to. With a woman, not actually that hard. And from a health promotion perspective, what you're actually incentivizing people to do is to not be good in bed. And you're, you know. You may even, actually, I don't have statistics for this, but I, I, you may even be increasing you know, rates of anorgasmia because you're disincentivizing men from making their wife's pleasure a priority. So I, I think I feel much more, I feel more passionate about the issues, um, but also I feel more tired. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, We're with you there. Well, thank you for joining us. I know you're moving down to Edmonton in the next two months, so that's going to be wild. So (laughs) have fun in your move. And hopefully when you're in Edmonton and you have better Wi-Fi, we'll be able to have you on more. So take care. Very excited about that. Yep. Enjoy. Have a great one. She really is awesome. We love Joanna. Yeah, she's gonna come visit next month. We're gonna go to the zoo. That'll be wonderful. Okay, so that that's what the book is about. That was our that was our plan for the book. But now, what's encouraged us this last year? And we do have a, we do have a number of things to that we're grateful for and we want to say mm-hmm. thank you for. And I think the first one is the stories that I get every day. Yeah, like every time I open up Instagram, I've got like at least five more DMs mm-hmm. about how much the great sex recipes changed. And I need to say that this is different. Okay, I've been writing books. Since 2003, I've written even a big book like the original Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Yeah. And I wrote Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Like, I've written marriage and sex books, and I've had people tell me, you know, this was a great book. I really enjoyed it. It really helped me think about things differently. I have never had anything like we have with Great Sex Rescue. Yeah. Because this is different. Like, this is because this book doesn't just teach people something this book really is the public health intervention Mm -hmm. where people are like i i finally feel free
1: i also think that this book did something different than other marriage and sex books because i and this this is me getting a little bit maybe more controversial a bit but i i do have this impression that what's been out there for so long has not only stolen great sex from so many couples but it's also stolen jesus Mm-hmm. because when you are reading a book like love and respect or like for women only or like these books that tell you you know in essence your job is to boost a man's ego and your needs need to come second to his wants your body doesn't belong to you what you experience doesn't really matter and they don't say that they say those explicitly but that's the message that so many women have gotten mm-hmm. when that's message we heard over and this is what God wants from you yeah Jesus looks at you when you are postpartum and thinks about your husband's sex drive yeah like if that's the jesus that they've been presented with for so long because mm-hmm. i i get different dms than what you get mm-hmm. i get a lot of theological dms yeah people who who are who say that like the great sex rescue was the first book that they have read that gives them permission to like jesus again yeah. And it's just it's just horrifying that I feel like it's not only stolen good sex and good marriages but it's also stolen our Jesus from women. Mm-hmm. And I I really I really hope that something the great sex rescue can do by showing these things were never of him. They were counterfeit. They were false. They were lies. They were false teachers. They were wolves mm-hmm. in sheep's clothing. Yeah. They were not the shepherd. Yeah. I'm hoping that as this book continues to spread, not only will marriages get better, not only will sex lives improve. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we get to reclaim Jesus. Yep.
0: Yep, exactly okay something else that encouraged us yep it sold really well it did it sold really well this is kind of funny so we were really we were really happy last year when it launched how well it did in like march and april and may like those launch months it did really well but then in january and february of this year it's like it it took off again um everybody was mentioning us in their 2021 book list that everyone Mm -hmm. posted on instagram on december 31st like these are the best books i read in 2021 so that so that started the ball rolling and then it it went on sale and then we were on theology in the raw and, and by the way when it went on sale we got up to number 19 number nine there was only one harry potter book that was ahead of us on In kindle. the kindle store like yeah. that's
3: insane so yeah
0: we were ahead of all but one harry we potter got, book we for
1: got the the to weekend. number
0: 19
1: 19 on kindle, on kindle. Like, like of all books
0: of all
1: the kindle books in the kindle bookstore yeah. we were number 19 mm-hmm no, not for very long. No, no, no. it there. was a very brief moment. Yes. but still, like the, yeah. no, the very, very,
0: very few books will crack, will crack the top hundred. Yeah, ever, ever. ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was that was really cool, and it's been selling really well um, this year too. So it kind of it kind of feels like it had that initial push, and then it just it just started taking off again with word of mouth, and so we really want to continue that momentum mm-hmm. for sure. Another huge thing that's been encouraging is. I've heard from so many counselors and pastors who are using it. Yeah. People keep sending me YouTube videos of, hey, my pastor mentioned the great sex rescue in his sermon last week, which is great. I've talked, I've zoomed into a couple of seminary classes, counseling classes where professors have asked me, they've been reading my book and I've gotten to talk to the students. And if you are a seminary prof in a counseling department and you would like us to zoom into your class, just talk to me. I'd be happy to. Or I'm going to be teaching or going and visiting Colorado Christian University in the fall. So this is great. So it's getting out in counseling programs. um, And that's really encouraging too, because if counselors get a hold of this, this is going to change. Yeah, because right now it's books like Love and Respect that are being
1: promoted by pastors and counselors. And so Mm -hmm. if they
0: start to shift... yeah. Yeah. And it's not just counselors and pastors, it's also pelvic floor physiotherapists. Yes, cuz one of the reasons we wanted 30 or 20,000 women to take our survey, like we wanted such a huge data set is because we wanted to figure out the vaginismus question. It's been known in the literature and I've said this before for 50 years that highly religious women, conservative religious women suffer from vaginismus at twice the rate of the general population. Mm-hmm. And that's a sexual pain disorder where the muscles in the vaginal wall contract and penetration becomes difficult, if not impossible. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to know why. Because even like like, being religious does not suddenly make your vagina. No, (laughs) exactly. So what is it specifically that is happening that is, that is doing that? And, um, we had enough people, enough women with vaginismus that we were able to, to sort through that. Yeah. To really splice the data and figure Mm it out. And a lot of it relates to body autonomy. Yeah. That feeling like my body is bad and I don't have control over it. Uh, Someone else owns it. I don't get to say no. And when we take away women's agency, our bodies interpret that as trauma. Yep. And so this is a serious thing. We've got it. We've got to deal with that. So we spoke at the American Physical Therapy Convention, in which is amazing, last month, which was great. We have gra- a grad student working with us from a yeah. university, and
1: your presentation at that conference is still garnering a lot of interest, yeah. and people
0: are asking for more. And... Yeah. So we're probably going to do another uh, event through the uh, American Physical Therapy Association. Mm-hmm. So like people, like pelvic floor physiotherapists, are really interested in our data. So that's wonderful. And speaking of our data it's even up in the ARDA yes so uh, the American portion of our data set so not everybody because we had a lot of Canadians, Australians, Brits, Nigerians everyone take our our survey but the American portion is up at a Purdue University the ARDA Mm -hmm. so the journalists can use our frequency numbers or other academics can use our data set for their own stuff which Mm -hmm. is awesome because we just want want knowledge to get out there okay so that's the happy stuff Mm -hmm. now what has surprised us? For me, yeah. a big one is how many singles
1: yes. are reading the book. Yeah. How many mm-hmm. single people are mm-hmm. reading the book? Because we really wrote it as, okay, so you're in a marriage, your sex mm-hmm. life isn't what you want it to be, and so, you know, how do you fix it? But what we're actually seeing is there's a lot of people who aren't married yet, who aren't even dating, Yeah, who are, you know, early 20s, yeah. and who are just reading it because they're like, listen, I know purity culture screwed me up, <laughs> but, like, I don't know what it's supposed to look like, and... They're checking yeah. out our book and it's really helping them
0: and also how many divorced women mm-hmm. like I've, I've had so many women who have come through abusive marriages and they read this and i think it's like what you were saying before they just needed to find jesus again and mm-hmm. they needed to make sense of what happened in their marriage and it was just really healing so yeah. many of them said um but what i really wasn't expecting is the guys yes so many men have read the great sex like when we started to see the reviews come in on amazon for men it was like oh That's interesting. There's a pastor um, who actually created a study that he worked through with the guys Mm -hmm. just for men. I had a guy on Instagram tell me that he and six friends went through the book together because they realized how much they they had messed up. And it's like, oh... Okay, and yeah, and yeah. like we wrote it so that men and women could both read it, but like considering how many, how much the
1: percentage of marriage books are bought by women,
0: yeah,
1: we kind of figured that this is a book that's telling you why your sex life isn't great, and frankly, a lot of it does come down to, to, to what men have, asked, have done, whether intentionally or not, to yeah. their wives, yeah. and so we were like, probably this isn't going to be so popular among the guys, so our focus was really to liberate the women, right. but then the guys kind of came in and they were just, yeah. Yeah, because you know what? People just want good sex. Well, and also, and I do think that there's a lot of people who are willing to acknowledge truth, even if it's an unfortunate one or an uncomfortable one.
0: Yeah, and when I say they want good sex, I don't just mean like they want orgasms. I mean, they want good, yeah, like good sex, like intimate sex. Like, like they actually love their passionate. wives. Yeah, and they don't want all this stuff to get in the way. You know, um, I did several posts this week, and I'll put links in the podcast notes, on how these messages have affected men as well, mm-hmm. and what we did find like i asked on instagram and women overwhelmingly feel that the messages affected them more than their husbands Mm -hmm. but they still did affect the husbands and so Mm -hmm. i wrote about you know how you can dig out of that hole if as a guy you're in it or if you didn't actually do anything wrong because a lot of men haven't but your wife believed all this stuff how you can help her so that it can be something that you both enjoy so i want to share i want to share two messages that i got from men just yesterday so these ones both came in yesterday the first was on the blog And the guy said, "Um, Great Sex Rescue is an amazing book. I read it twice. I took notes. I'm trying to live it out. I have deconstructed so much of what I was taught and believed. It will take time, but I hope in time my wife can forgive me and find joy in sex the way God intended. Your work stopped an unhealthy cycle years long, and now there can be healing and joy. I know you meet resistance. Please don't give up your fight. You reached me, and now my boys will learn what we should all know about this area. I'm so happy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's changing for the next generation too. And then I had this one on Instagram. I'm not going to share the whole thing because there was some identifying features, but basically a guy wrote in his ex-wife actually gave him the book. Interesting. Yeah. And he said, I'm glad because I've learned so many amazing things. Empathy is soaring. I've been radically impacted by these teachings and believe this book to be a turning point. But I'm mad because I came to the realization that I never gave my ex a fighting chance. Yeah. Sex was a point of contention and obligation was the weapon of choice. I wish to God I had had this book 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's so sad, but Mm -hmm. also just glad that it's changing things now. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so that's the happy thing that surprised us yes. is that is is some of the populations that are using th- this one surprised me too, and maybe I was just naive. Yeah. But there really has been a news embargo on the book. Mm-hmm. I really thought that when a survey of twenty thousand, this is the largest study that has ever been done of mm-hmm. evangelical women. On their marital and sexual satisfaction. Like this, this takes any study that's ever been done before and blows it out of the water. Yeah. This is so much data. And I thought people would care about that. Mm -hmm. And yet, no large news organization, no large media organization, like there's been some bigger podcasts like Theology in the Raw or whatever.
1: Fantastic.
0: Um, But you know, none of the quote unquote in crowd in the evangelical industrial complex or whatever will talk about our book. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because our book is very similar sales figures to the Making Biblical Womanhood yep. and Jesus and John Wayne. Like not, they're, they're, they're ahead of us, but they're not like out of our league. Yeah. Like we're in the same kind of league, yeah. <laughs> right? And they get talked about everywhere. Yeah. And we get talked about nowhere hmm Like, on podcasts. Yes. And we're happy for them. We are Yeah, thrilled. yeah. No, seriously. Like, please, do buy. And by the way, if you haven't, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't gotten Beth or Kristen's book yet, yeah. just get them both. Making a Biblical Womanhood, Jesus and John, John and They're both... So good. Yeah. Yeah. And the books, they're often called the trio. Like, our books are often bought together, the three of us. But it's like, the news organizations just are not talking about our book. hmm And we have a theory as to why. hmm Because... If, you know, Kristen and Beth's books, which are very well researched, okay? So yeah, they're, they're excellent. I'm not saying... But they're like interpretations of history. Yeah. And people can have different interpretations of history. Yeah. And so they can be debated. So if you don't agree with them... It's not as threatening. You can still talk about it and just say, well, they're wrong because I think they're wrong. And <laughs> there you go. And a lot of the critiques have been quite silly. The but, cr- but Quite silly. Because frankly, yeah. I
1: mean... You can't really argue against it. It's just that it feels like you can right. because, right.
0: yeah. Yeah. But, but like in the history realm, people are used to saying, okay, well, this is my interpretation. That's your yeah. interpretation center. I think what scares people about our stuff is we have data. Well, it's not like a, we think these things
1: are bad. It's like, you are allowed to believe this and Mm -hmm. your wife is less likely to enjoy sex and you're much more likely to be bad in bed.
0: Yeah. So you can think that if you want to, but she'll have a 37% lower orgasm rate. Or, you know, if you think we're wrong chances are your wife isn't happy in bed. Like, and we, I wouldn't say it like that. Well, yeah. well maybe I have, but, yeah. but like that's the implication because we have all of this data. Yeah. So, and I think that's where people don't know how to engage with our yeah. stuff. Because it's just a little bit more personal, I think. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and, it's a lot more personal. Yeah, and how can you argue? Like, okay, you want to argue that women are obligated to have sex? All right, then she's gonna have- Almost a doubly as high likelihood of of, of getting vaginismus.
1: vaginismus. Like she's much more likely to find it difficult to get aroused during sex sex Mm -hmm. she's far
0: less likely to orgasm like there's just all these negative things yeah and and it's hard to argue against stats so they could argue if they if if we if all we were arguing was the interpretation of first corinthians 7 3 to 5 like the Mm -hmm. do not deprive verses they could they could engage with us but we're not just arguing about that we're arguing about what happens when you teach it that way yeah and they just don't have a response for that and so their response has just been radio silence yep So, like, nobody will cover us. And I really thought that I also people would. Think, I also think the big thing that we
1: did, which which uh, and Beth also did, but I think this combined with our stats it might be mm-hmm. why we had some silence, is we just quoted people. Mm-hmm. Like, we weren't talking about trends or, like, overarching themes. We were saying, this is what people hear. They hear, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. That's Emerson That's just Egerich, love and In love and respect, right? Or like, it's because we, we had a similar thing happen on on Instagram when you got, you did a Fixed It For You of Owen Strong's tweet.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he
1: went on saying, this is slander. We're like, we quoted you. Yeah, we just and quoted so, you. And, but all the responses to him were like, my dude, they just <laughs> quoted you. Like, are you slandering yourself? Like, it's not, is it now slander just to say what someone said? Like, dude, yeah. if you what you said is slanderous to yourself... Maybe you shouldn't have said it. Yeah. Like, he didn't, like, it, he looked like just, he was really yeah. shut down pretty yeah. quickly. And I think that's the problem is if these big people start talking about it, we can say, but you said this. Yeah. Like, they can't mm-hmm. engage with it because we're not twisting their words. Yeah. We're just quoting them.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, the stuff that we're quoting is stuff that's still best-selling. Yeah. You know, Kristen was talking about a lot of stuff in the past and and Beth certainly was but we're talking about stuff that that's that's right selling. now and so you yeah. can't
1: just talk about it as a theo- as like a theoretical mm-hmm. discussion it's like a hey it's your friend who you mm-hmm. just had at your conference is telling women this mm-hmm. and by the way it's meaning that a certain percentage of women in that congregation who are currently being sexually assaulted by their husbands
0: are much more likely to have it happen tonight yes and that's yeah. your fault yeah
1: yeah, And so they don't want to talk
0: to us, yeah. which is because like understandable. They don't know how to engage. And so, yeah. and but because of that, because of this, so we've been, you know, we haven't been on any big radio shows. We haven't been on like on any big uh, media outlets, et cetera, et cetera. Because of that, the book it really is depending on word of mouth. And it's been amazing. It's
1: like we yeah. have not been talked about everywhere in terms of the big things but we're on everyone's Instagram we're on everyone's yeah. Twitter we're on everyone's Facebook because frankly the
0: people who like the book can't be stopped I love it when people leave a link to the Great Sex Rescue and focus on the family's comments I know that's the funniest thing I mean thing. eventually it'll get deleted they always delete it within yeah. a few hours but in, uh, so many people have told me I found your book because someone left the link and focus on the family yeah exactly so you know and then they start following me and I, I love that so yeah. just keep keep doing keep that keep going you guys
1: um, pretty much what we're trying to say in this podcast is what you're doing is working yeah please yeah. keep it going but
0: there was this um commercial that i grew up with in the 1970s and 80s for faberge organic shampoo mm-hmm. and it went you know i, I forgot how she started but it's like i love this shampoo so much that i told two friends and they told two friends and, so on. Two friends, and, and so, so on and so on and so on and so, so on, on. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's how this book is gonna is gonna reach a new plateau we want nobody to read this book in 10 years. Yeah. Because we want there to be no need for this book in 10 years. Yes. We want this book. (laughs) (laughs) We want this book to, in essence, make all of the teachings that our book talks about obsolete. Mm -hmm. We want the conversation to change. And I'll tell you about what I haven't said. This is the most discouraging part of this last year. Mm -hmm. Before before we get to our big ask, the most discouraging thing for me was when Married Sex by Gary Thomas was published. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I found it so discouraging... Is it because he had read The Great Sex Rescue and yeah. he declined to endorse it, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Yeah, that's, you're allowed to do that. But he had read it while he was writing his book. Yes. And he used a lot of our wording. And he and, and it was very clear that
1: our work allowed him to write a book that promoted all of these harmful messages, but in a way that used the right politically correct language.
0: So it didn't sound like he was so just... It so he would bad. say, obviously, obligation sex Is it's bad. Really bad. We should never do obligation sex, but sex should feel like a sacrifice at least some of the time. And you should think of sex like you do feeding your newborn baby in the middle of the night.
1: Like, so he'd say, so people would read that and be like, well, you shouldn't
0: have obligation sex, but then also, but if you're not sacrificing, are you really a good Christian wife? Yeah. And and so he used our language to make him sound safe, Yeah. but then the underlying messages were the same. Send him nude photos so that neurologically he's focused on your body rather than other people's. Yeah. Which is just disgusting. Like, and and that's but again, we're not
1: saying you can be flirty send new photos if you want to. That's fine but to to pressure women into doing things that are unsafe it is yeah. unsafe to send mm-hmm. nude photos you
0: know, to a husband,
1: because that will help him not look at porn. Yeah, that's like,
0: that's problematic. And so he used our language to make it sound like he was safe, but then the underlying message was the same. So we still have work to do, people. Yeah. We still have work. That can't happen again. Mm-hmm. And the, the way it's not going to happen again is if people get the message. And so mm-hmm. you are our army. Yeah. And so we have a big ask. If everybody does this today, we can make a real dent. So everybody, please, here's our big ask. If you haven't bought the book yet, the book yes please buy the book all right read it you may think i already know everything it says because i've been listening to every single one of your podcasts there's an emotional punch in reading the book that you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. especially the last chapter well and the coercion chapter and the anyway all of the thing. chapters there's also there's and all no, the we'll, stuff in the book that we don't talk about very much yeah um. so please buy it for yourself um but if you've already read it Will you buy a copy for someone else? Mm -hmm. Maybe your counselor or your Mm -hmm. pastor or a friend of yours who's a counselor that you know works with a lot of couples and Mm -hmm. recommends a lot of marriage books. You know, that would be a great person or Think about the person in your social circle that knows everybody. Yeah, like for us, it's Evelyn, and and from to, Quinty West. To, okay, <laughs> yeah, and to, to emphasize how much Evelyn knows yes. everybody. When
1: I went, this is a funny story. When I went to university and I met my now husband, who is from Kamloops, BC, which went, is on other the, side, other side, side of the Canada country, and wasn't a Christian, and was was an atheist from BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, when he had been in IVCF, our Christian fellowship group, for a couple of months, mm-hmm. when we were dating, Mm -hmm. I looked on his Facebook once and it was like, people you may know, Evelyn. (laughs) And she was there because a couple of the Christians from Belleville were at University of Ottawa. And Connor was friends with them. And it's like, like,
0: this is how much she knows everyone. Yes. And so like, you know what, Evelyn, I'm going to send you a copy. (laughs) But think of the person that you know, who knows everybody. And they would be a great person to give the great sex rescue to. So will you do that today for us? It would make such a huge difference. We have an amazing guest coming up that I'm about to introduce you to, but, but, but hit pause right now (laughs) on your podcast and go and buy The Great Sex Rescue, there's links in the podcast notes where you can get it on Amazon when you use my link. It helps give me money so that I can hire a transcription. (laughs) Um, But get The Great Sex Rescue and give it to someone where it can keep making. And impact. I am so thrilled to welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast, Elizabeth Fisher Good from Free With E. Hi Elizabeth. Hey Sheila, how are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk to you. For our listeners, Elizabeth is just she's like a power woman and she is so devoted to the same stuff that we are just from a different angle. Um, Elizabeth has been involved for 11 years in combating sex trafficking. And now her ministry free with E, which you can find it at freewithe.com, with um, has church curriculum to help the church handle this properly. And that's what I want to talk about today. So thank you. This is going to be fun.
3: Yes, it will be good. Because stuff, even sure. though it's, even though it's a rough subject, you're a fun person. So th- yeah. Cause you yeah. know, what, like getting to the truth is actually fun. I think people have the wrong perception that like, Oh no, this is scary. It's like, no, <laughs> living your life under your purpose is actually scary.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> what I've specifically wanted to talk to you about is what you have found where the intersection lies between how the church talks about sex and enabling sex trafficking. Yes.
3: You know, cause I always say, organized crime is organized, they're out there, they're not hiding anything, they're just doing it. And uh, the church is siloed, divided, hiding, and and we're not able to be the force we should be to combat, Mm -hmm. you know, what is one of the fastest growing crimes, not only in America, but globally. And I think that my perspective, I shared with you that I was in corporate America in my 20s, I was in leadership at Willow Creek Community Church in my 30s. And then 40, moving to Florida to do nothing led me to launching an anti-human trafficking foundation and end up being one of the top leaders in the movement. <laughs> <laughs> my goal to do nothing. And, and I found that they are all 1000% related because, you know, like I said, organized crime or corporate America, people aren't really pretending much. They're, they they sleep on, you know, have affairs on their wife. They, they talk about all the stuff they do and it's, it's vulgar, but it's out there. Then you go to the church where mm-hmm. we don't talk about what we do. And it's hidden. And especially if you're in leadership, you really don't talk about it. And, you know, I think the Lord blew me open when I was 34. So I was four years into my leadership role, perfectly on a platform, acting perfect and judgmental and thinking I had all my stuff together. And the Lord brought this crazy experience into my life that reminded me. And and it's not even as if I thought I was blocking it out. I didn't even recall it. I think it was so repressed and put away and didn't match because I was raised in the church. So I knew how to, I knew how to play that role.
2: Mm-hmm. And it really,
3: i heard someone say to me recently, well, I really hope that this never caught up with this. I didn't even know I was keeping it away, but it had to be revealed to reconcile me. But every judgment I have was revealed because of my own hidden junk. I had so much hidden junk. It was ridiculous. And so what happened was, as I got my freedom and my breakthrough, and I became an area pastor at Willow, I became like a confessional and everyone started telling me their secrets. So I, I was over 200 families in the region that we lived in, in the North shore of Chicago and people would share what was really happening behind closed doors. Everybody attended church. <laughs> Everybody looked perfect, but it was so broken. There was so much hiddenness and it didn't matter what position. And so then what I learned in that role was they would tell me, but then they'd pretend they didn't, and they didn't want me to remember either. So that was a really difficult decade for me of learning how to manage, you know, the, the stuff wanted to come out, but it really really didn't. And then I moved to Florida and launched this anti-sex trafficking organization over the last decade. And what I found there prior to that, in between working in corporate America and um, the church, I received my master's in criminal justice or not criminal justice, clinical psychology. Um, And what fascinated me was so many people, it didn't matter if you're a wealthy housewife and you can't stop eating or shopping, or if I was dealing with someone coming out of the South side of prison, the root of childhood sexual abuse was Mm -hmm. such a common denominator. And it derailed. I feel like the enemy, if you can't get us in the womb, Will come after us at three, four, five years old, as young as he can, to just do something. And if the child experiences a sexual act done against them, game off. I mean, we are a mess. We, we, I, it happened to me. It, you just lose your identity, you lose your purpose, you get so confused. So, what I found when I started the anti sex trafficking was that the root of anti sex trafficking is also childhood sexual abuse. 92% mm-hmm. of survivors are abused as children sexually. And for me, I was abused sexually as a kid. And my abuser was a worship leader in one of our Mm -hmm. churches that we attended forever and ever and ever, like my most revered family, not an extra, not a family member, but like a family member. And I kept that secret. I learned in the North shore, how people kept their secrets. Then I get into sex trafficking, which is getting this huge platform over the last decade, same secret, this root of childhood sexual abuse and the numbers are the same in the church or out of the church, whatever your zip code is, the secrets of childhood sexual abuse. But the last decade, I think what mostly blew me away was the amount of survivors that we worked with, that their abuse started in their youth group. And their parents didn't know and kept saying, you just need more God and would send them back or different stories. Oh, yes. Or the donors that came and said, you know what, Elizabeth, I'm so glad you're doing this because I never told anyone. So I became more of a confessional for people, but it was in a healthier way because then they were donating to something they believed in. They were helping, you know, they didn't have to stay as hidden because they weren't in the church. They were in a not-for-profit and it was a little more acceptable to be messy over here. Mm -hmm. So it's led me to where I am now thinking, okay, I need the church to stand up and combat this. I've sat with so many pastors that literally they put their fingers in the ear. Like, this is a tough one. I don't know. I'm like, we are the church. If the church does not wake up and stop hiding and hiding its own stuff, We will never be able to step into the arena. So we launched the free with E to get to the root of the church straight up in a ministry way to help them expose. And I've never, ever led any encounter or program that I've done without somebody saying, I can't believe you said that you just unlocked something. I didn't even have a memory around and I can't believe me too. You know, and and I think that's what we're hungry for. I think the church wants the real talk and the program's called real talk. Right now.
0: Are you getting? I I think what what I've seen in so many churches is people do come forward with their stories of sexual abuse, but then the churches don't want to hear it because they don't want to deal with the fact that it was a leader, and it's like protect the reputation at all costs, protect the church at all
3: costs, instead of dealing with the actual the the victim. One thousand percent. I think you know we've gotten calls, being in the position we are over the last decade, we get calls from women ministry leaders, they might be youth group leaders. And they say, you know what, we have a youth group leader. He's like 20 or 19. He slept with an 11 year old. Mm. We told the senior pastor, he's not doing anything. That is the, you know, the root there is. You know, Can
0: I just interrupt? <laughs> if you hear that a 20 year old slept with an 11 year old, you don't tell a senior pastor, you pick up a phone and you call the police or you call child protection services. I just, I just want to put that in there right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. But how many things get locked between the walls and then it's like, oh, no, no, we'll handle it. Don't worry about it. Thanks for letting us know. He's, you know, having a little trouble right now. Well, I mean, it's amazing to me. Amazing to me. So that is my passion, because it's like if we can't talk about it here, we should be leading the narrative on all things mm-hmm. sex. The church should be in the depths. The kids are getting it on their cell phones, on the bus. By They, they used to say the average age of um, exposure and addiction to porn was 11. Now they say mm-hmm. eight. Mm -hmm. that our neural pathways are being reset. So kids are coming out and it's not like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my fifties and Mm -hmm. our porn was airbrushed and lovely. And you could get it in a magazine or late night cable. Now it's on our devices and these kids are pulling up horrific, graphic, abusive. So Mm -hmm. the church isn't telling them what sex should be. Their parents aren't talking about it because they might have their own stuff they haven't healed from. So they can't even put words to it. And there's this little girl, and this is like my story that just speaks to it all. She wrote an article said, and was called sweet 16 and still waiting for my first kiss. And she talks about since she was eight, nine, 10 years old, boys have been showing her stuff on the phone saying, will you do this with me? Will you act this out? She said, I have engaged in so many sex, our acts around sex, but I'm turning 16 and have yet to be kissed.
0: Oh, wow. Isn't that heartbreaking?
3: That's what we're raising. And by not speaking about it the church isn't making any difference.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I often hear and, and I've heard male bloggers, like even some marriage bloggers say this, that there's consensual porn. So when I say that all porn is sex trafficking, to some extent, they say, well, no, there's a whole lot of consensual porn. No, because the vast majority of them were sexual abuse survivors. This is trauma. Yeah. This is trauma. You can't say that they're consenting when it's a, when they're acting out of trauma. That's not a true choice.
3: Uh, that's the whole conversation in America for sex trafficking, prostitution, legal sex worker, you know, oh, there's a whole um, lobby now trying to put a union around sex workers in America. Say, let's just give them great benefits. It's a great job. I mean, when you think about as a parent, like if your six-year-old sat on your lap, little girl, and says, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Can you imagine her saying, "Oh, I'd like sixty-year-old men to have sex with me fifteen times a day." Oh, honey, great career. Like, it's impossible for it to be a choice. Shades of gray of deadening our spirit, deadening our identity, hardening our heart, thinking we're choosing something when. We don't know the way out and we don't feel we're worth getting out of it. Even just being sexually abused a little bit, you know, I didn't have the horrific things that our survivors have. I lost my identity for 10 years, became promiscuous, didn't care what was done to me. It, it's a lie and it's absolutely unfathomable. Like when I hear a pastor talking and he's like, well, she's a, you know a hooker or, you know, so and so I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, I raised my boys. I have boys that are now like 20 and 18. And I'm like, there's no such thing as a hooker. There's a girl with a story do not ever let people speak like that. You know, think about it.
0: Yeah. So what how would you define sex trafficking then?
3: Well, sex trafficking what we've seen over the last 11 years being in it, you know, they define it by force, fraud or coercion. You have to have force, mm-hmm. fraud or coercion. And what I've typically seen are children that were abused in an abusive situation or something that made them vulnerable and they were coerced. They say within um, 48 hours of running away, any child in any zip code in America, within 48 hours, 80% of them will be approached by a trafficker and literally just has to say, hey baby, I bet your parents don't know how to love you or are you hungry? You need a place to stay, I'll love you. And a child, like the youngest that I worked with over the years, she came to us years later, but she said at 11 years old, she said, you know what? I remember being 11 and saying, whatever is on the streets, Has got to be better than what happens in my bedroom with my dad and my brothers every single night. And she ran away and she became a statistic. Within 48 hours, she was approached. They say the number that once they lure them into the sex trade, they're sold 15 to 40 times a day. Most of the girls over the last decade said their number was 20 or 25 of men they had to service. And and getting them out and you know, breaking through that pattern and that destiny, it's 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 Satan's greatest desire to destroy us and take us down.
0: Yeah. And of course now sex trafficking, porn also counts as sex trafficking because they're doing sex
3: acts. Where involving a child and any commercial exchange of sex. When we first started this in 2011, 2012, they were arresting kids. Like this poor little girl, when she ran away at 11, they would arrest her because the, the predator and the buyers never got arrested. They right. were like, oh, John, go home to your wife. And you know the trafficker, he put the girl out there. He never had anything on him. They would arrest these children of childhood prostitution and they would do every prostitution arrest was a misdemeanor, three childhood prostitution arrests equal a felony, three misdemeanors translated to a felony. By the time we found this girl when she was 18, she had 18 felonies from all the arrests of child prostitution. So changing laws over the last decade, educating law enforcement that this is not a little prostitute. This is a little girl that has had everything stolen, hasn't had a clue how to get restored, and you're mm-hmm. throwing her in jail. So it's like, we have flipped the paradigm, we have flipped the narrative, and we're helping to re-educate systems because our world has had just, it's been very comfortable. I think people always say, oh, it's the oldest profession, you know, and what our law enforcement now that's really tuned in says, no, it's the oldest story of abuse. And yep. it's time to stop turning a blind eye. No one chooses this. Now, I think a lot of people think that sex trafficking doesn't really affect
0: churches or doesn't you know, that's something that's out there. And so why should we
3: educate churches about this? What would you say to that? Well, I think, you know, what I don't even think a church is really capable or ready to hear much about sex trafficking. What we need to start helping the churches understand is you have secrets just abundantly in your pews, because we had a little girl that when she was younger, she was abused in youth group. And the youth group leader used to say to her, you know what? You tempt me. It's your fault. You're just, you have this spirit of seduction on you. You know, you can't tell anybody you're going to ruin my call. This little girl, she's like, oh my gosh, I've ruined the youth group leader. You know, I think the church has to start talking about that because know what happened to that girl? She was an all-star lacrosse player. She was amazing. She kept doing more and more drugs to numb and numb and numb because it kept happening. So parents are like, what's wrong with you? You need to go to church more. And they kept shoving. (laughs) and she ended up finally her parents were so fed up with her this brilliant athletic gorgeous girl they dropped her at a salvation army salvation armies are like pimp haven they're looking for vulnerable people that that come there she she was within her first 48 hours statistically same thing dragged in this trafficker that was i mean just disgusting to even look at but he controlled her mind controlled her mind and he sold her for two years it took a team, we have outreach teams all over the country that are running after these girls to say, hey, you're worth more. There's more for you. You don't have to do this. They're so deadened inside. So if the church doesn't realize that we have to get ahead of it so that a child doesn't keep a secret and a parent is not still keeping their own, it doesn't have the ability. You know, the, the church, the Bible talks about the sins of the father to the third or the fourth generation. In psychology, we know that a generational pattern is repeated unless right. of intervention. So it's it's statistical, it's biblical. Yeah. Now, of course, boys can be
0: trafficked as well. And there's a lot of boys who are traveling. We're talking, you've been talking a lot about girls, but we know that boys are trafficked as well. And so this is a big problem and boys are also victims of child sexual abuse, not in as great numbers, but in way too many numbers.
3: Close. I mean, the numbers yeah. are not as off. It's what they say. One out of three little girls is going to keep a secret of childhood sexual abuse before she's yeah. 18. One out of five. Five. Yeah. I was going to say five.
0: Yep. So a it's a lot. And then let's remember too, that, that the way that it enters the church isn't always the victim, but often the perpetrator, like any man who is watching porn is participating in sex trafficking. Right.
3: And I, and I, I've been, I've been leading different programs and groups for women forever. And and I have recently said, ladies, I think I'm going to just make a t-shirt that says, Hey ladies, you're not doing them any favors because so many women hide and cover up for their husbands and Mm -hmm. they have a platform in the church and what's the stat 77% of pastors have a porn a sexual addiction yeah I don't think it's actually that hot in the 70s isn't it I think it's like well I don't I don't know know, unless
0: pastors have a lot higher but but it's a lot it's way too many anyway
3: yes and and I've talked to because one of my parts of my ministry is I get a lot of strong women women leaders and and As their guard comes down and they're talking about their stuff, they're like, well, you know, my husband's so into porn, but you know, and I'm like, wait, let's stop right there. Let's, well, you know, everybody does it not like excessive or anything. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like as women, there's so much that we, and so what I, what I've been teaching and working with people is the minute that you change the spirit in you, that's turning a blind eye, like the enemy wants us to keep that blind eye. And when a wife has her epiphany and she has her awakening, the spirit in him knows it. And then it's awesome because then it's game on. Like, yeah, he could stay in agreement with the enemy and all day long, not want to go there. Or you could take everything higher and change the legacy. I mean, I'm so tired of hearing people say, oh, my parents were married for 55 years. They had the greatest marriage, but this person's divorced twice. Why? Because you watched 50 years of hiddenness and secrets and you didn't know how to work it out. And I think the time for the church to be the voice and, and, and leading this narrative and talking about Why? Because pornography, like I think the beautiful thing with porn is if we would speak about it correctly, we could help people understand the why. It's not, oh, shame, you're bad. Oh, this. Nobody knows. Girls are Mm -hmm. are addicted to porn as much as men. I mean, the the little girls are getting addicted at a young age, just like the boys are. But what they don't understand is we're not saying don't do it because it's bad. Don't be like the world. Mm -hmm. We're saying the enemy is robbing you of your ability to have intimacy with your spouse, men that are, I mean, how many guys did the wife go? Well, yeah, he's on Viagra, but it's okay. Well, no, <laughs> he really wouldn't need it. <laughs> if it was okay, he yeah. would be able to be aroused by you, his wife. Yeah. And so like, when I talked to my boys, my poor guys have had me like doing Ted talks and talking about this stuff forever. And, and <laughs> one conversation, I sat them all down. I'm like, I want you guys to know this, not because it's bad and you should feel shame, but You come from sexual addiction on this side, sexual addiction on that side. And my whole thing is it it bonds you to the wrong stuff. And my desire is for you to have a great marriage. Like, I really just want you to get hard for your wife. And my kids are like, oh, get hard, stop. (laughs) There are so many women, if the church is really talking, we're talking about sex with my husband once a month or once a year, or we don't do it at all. And they're, they're prominent in churches that I know around the country.
0: And I think the younger generation, too, really, really resonates with the justice argument Um, because the younger generation cares about social justice. So if we can start talking about the human trafficking angle of this, that it isn't just willing people having sex on a screen, you are actually masturbating to somebody being raped.
3: And you're perpetuating a lie and a fantasy. It's not even close in your way. You know, a little girl doesn't want to play it out and mimic it. Yeah it's, yeah. it's a business. It's the Hollywood. It's a huge, it's, it's pornography is higher than sex trafficking. I don't yeah. know if it's a $90 billion. It's just the, the stats yeah. are astronomical for porn yeah. the amount of money. They were saying, was it Netflix, Google, all these top tech companies combined don't come close to Pornhub. And as a Canadian, let me just
0: apologize for Pornhub. <laughs> it's <laughs> One of my biggest embarrassments as a Canadian is these companies are from Montreal, but anyway, so what is the first step for people who are listening? um, How can, how can they find out about the free with E curriculum?
3: Well, you know, you can go to freewithe.com and there's a get connected button right there. And they can look at the personal coaching, which is if they still have their own secrets and they want some of our resources to get free to have their own healing around it or we have the church consulting area, which we have this beautiful program called real talk. And we would love to talk to them about getting their church involved. I think there's an awakening happen. It's time you've paved the ground, my dear. It's moving.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exciting. We do live in an exciting time. and, And I think God is really moving and he is, he's revealing things that have been hidden. He's bringing them to the light and he's shining his light there and setting people free. And that's, Yes. May he keep doing that. Amen.
3: (laughs) Amen. He really is. I think it's a great time. I'm excited Mm -hmm. for the church because we are, we are the answer. If we cannot rise up and be, be the light, then we don't have a chance. And you know what? We have to, the world's getting Mm -hmm. too dark. The church cannot stay quiet.
0: Amen. We are the light. Elizabeth Fisher, good finder at free And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Take care. I kind of feel like Elizabeth's mission is a lot like our mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, what she's doing, I mean, is so important. I, Sex trafficking is something that hurts me. Like it wakes yeah. me up in the middle of the night. Like yeah. this this, this has been a burden for me since I was like 13, 14 and figured out yeah. what it was. And of course, we've worked with women who were sex trafficked in Kenya, but mm-hmm. it's happening in North America too. And we need to stop it. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to stop it by changing the way that people see sex mm-hmm. and she's trying to stop it on the ground by helping people be aware that this happens and this just has to stop happening. Mm -hmm. It can't keep happening. And so we have links to Elizabeth's organizations in the podcast notes so you can find her and you can be part of the solution too. Okay. I want to end on something encouraging. Great. As of the time that we are recording this, this is the most recent review on Amazon Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read one sentence from it. This book, will help bring about a new sexual reformation if we allow it and we need it. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We need a sexual reformation. Totally. And I'm excited to see what the next year will bring. When we're sitting here on March 2nd, 2023, 2023. let's see if the next sex book that's published, the next marriage book that's published, if it finally says something healthy and the conversation has actually changed. So be part of it, tell two friends so they could tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. We'll see you next week. Bye.